This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Last week, I shared with you a little bit about myself and talked about the difficulty I had as a young man in terms of recognizing my own self-worth and value and discovering the purpose that God had for my life. I talked about the decision to go into ministry and the decisions that brought me to this place in terms of senior ministry and preaching after years of youth ministry. And I think back to the, the young man that I was, the, the difficulties that I faced. And, and I have to say, not only did I struggle with, with self-confidence, but I also would call myself indecisive as I wondered about decisions that I had to make. As I began to ponder what God's will was for my life, and I imagined this path that God had for my life, and, and I worried so much over the decisions I had to make that if I chose incorrectly, I would be deviating from God's plan for me. And if I chose correctly, then I would be aligning my life with the path that he had already set out. And, and, and I agonized over some of those decisions. And I, I think back to all the decisions that I had to make between the ages of 17 and 23. Life decisions. Decisions that I'm still living according to. That's a lot of weight for a young person to deal with in terms of career, college, degree program, uh, dating and finding a spouse. Not only choosing a career, but deciding where that first job will be, what city we would plant ourselves in, what church we were going to work for. It was so, so much weight thinking about those decisions. Uh, unforgettable verse for this week is a verse that met me there in those decisions. Uh, it comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And those words encouraged me and gave me hope. They reminded me of a greater perspective that I needed to have in making decisions. And I'll explain a little bit more of that later. I, I love this verse not only because of the way it, it met me, but also because uh, I attribute this verse to help helping bring my wife and I together. As a matter of fact, when she was a teenager, uh, she was a star point guard for the basketball team. And and her junior year was getting ready to go into her senior year thinking about colleges and scholarships and recruiting. And uh, two weeks before the first game of her senior year, she came down on her knee with sudden pain. She couldn't bend her knee. She had a torn ACL. She had to have it surgically repaired. And she missed out on her entire senior year season of basketball. Pivotal season moving from high school to college. And in the course of that physical recovery, the emotional turmoil that goes with that, she began to think about her future, about her path, about where God was leading her and what she would have to decide about her future. She began reading scripture and praying and talking to uh, mentors, ministers at her church, and she began thinking about Bible college and career in service to the Lord and helping people and her family, her parents traveled with her to several Bible colleges to take a look and see which one might fit the best. And I met her 
uh, on that first visit with her parents to Cincinnati Bible College. It was a basketball game that night. I was there watching the game. I went out to use the restroom and opened the door and held it open for this family I'd never seen. And this young lady that walked by that captured my attention. It took her a little while to notice me, but she had been depending on this verse to carry her through that difficult time, anchored on these words, and not just for the hope that they provide, but for recognizing the message of faithfulness that's embedded beneath these words, the significance of living faithfully, no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what difficulty you find yourself in, choosing to be faithful to the message, to the mission, to the ministry that God provides for you. And that's what we find in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an incredible book found in the Old Testament, a book of prophecy, which means that it's the story of the prophet's life, uh, the message that he carried for God, and the events that happened around that. And so in order for us to gain a, a full understanding of this passage, I want to dive into the book of Jeremiah just a little bit and give you an overview to, to count on the, the history and the background and the context of this verse so we can fully understand it. And I want to step back into the first chapter of Jeremiah to understand how God called Jeremiah into a very difficult life of, of ministry, delivering his message to the people of Israel. And at this time in history, the people of Israel were divided into two kingdoms because of the unfaithfulness of their kings. Israel and Judah were there together, and God called Jeremiah to deliver this message of sin to them, of punishment that was coming because of their sin, of the need for the people to turn to God and choose faithfulness. And this message was, was controversial. Jeremiah had to confront the people with their sin. He had to confront the false prophets in the land of their sin. And he had to go before the king himself with this confrontational message to help him see the need to lead the people faithfully after the Lord. This is a difficult message that Jeremiah not only took hold of, but maintained throughout his life, even though he faced ridicule, suffering. He was thrown into a cistern because of this message. He was called the weeping prophet because his words were so negative towards the people that needed to hear them that he continued to cry out against their sin and calling them to repentance, and yet he faithfully obeyed. We read these words at the beginning of Jeremiah to understand God's calling in his life. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. And the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Jeremiah lived this example to the people of Israel, of faithful obedience to God. It's an important example to the people because of the promises of God. And the, at this time in the Old Testament, the covenant promises of God depended on the people's faithfulness. It hinged upon them being obedient to God. And Jeremiah gave them this example as he proclaimed God's message. A message that was needed because the people of Israel and Judah had been so unfaithful. They had turned away from the Lord God Almighty. They were worshiping the false gods and idols of the nations around them. They had turned their backs completely on God. And because of their sin and disobedience, God sent Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonian armies to invade. 
And that army surrounded Jerusalem, the capital where the king of Judah lived. They besieged that city. It was punishment because of their sin. And the message that God sent Jeremiah to carry to the people was this. You need to turn to God and be faithful to him. And the way that you prove your faithfulness to God is to walk outside of the city in humility, surrender yourselves to this invading army and allow them to take you captive back to their homeland. They had a decision to make. If they wanted to be faithful to God and surrender, or if they wanted to continue in their disobedience and choose to resist this army, Jeremiah let them know that if they remained, they would suffer and die at the hands of the Babylonians. A number of the Israelites were faithful and obeyed and went and were taken captive. But a group stayed, including the king and the false prophets around him. Now, the reason Jeremiah had this difficult message is because God called him to stay in Jerusalem with those who were being disobedient, to continue to try and convince them to listen to God, to be taken captive and deported into exile. And Jeremiah took on this difficult role of trying to convince God's people to turn themselves in. He confronted the false prophets around the king, and he confronted the king himself. Now, the difficulty of this message is that those false prophets were trying to convince the king that he could stay. And, and they proclaimed this false message to the king because they were listening, they were aware of what the king wanted to hear, and so they manipulated the king, providing this false message from God. They said to him, repent and turn to God. And he will deliver you from the Babylonians at your gates. He will conquer this army on your behalf. And those, those Israelites who surrendered, their exile will end in two years and they'll come back. Everything will be good. That's the message he gave the king. And the king was encouraged to dig in because of this false message. You know, imagine how difficult it would be for Jeremiah to contend with that message. A message that was false and yet it, it had all of the elements of truth in it. It it sounded credible. It was consistent with what the way God had worked in the past. Remember through the book of Exodus and the book of Judges, how God, when his people turned and repented to him, he would deliver them from oppression, from invading armies, from captivity. He would act on their behalf. And so historically speaking, the king and his people could look back and say, well, that, that sounds like what God would do. That, why wouldn't that be true? But it wasn't what God was calling them to do now. And Jeremiah had to confront that false message and he was called by God to walk into the king's court with a wooden yoke that's made for oxen on his back. And he stood before the king and said, this message you've heard from these prophets is false. And he shattered that yoke, reminding the king that he would have to submit to become obedient to the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar if he was going to be obedient to God. It's a difficult message to deliver to one in power one with so much pride, one who's unwilling to hear what you have to say. And yet, Jeremiah was faithful to what God was calling him to do. Jeremiah was given this message for those who remained. He was also given a message for those who were faithful, who had been taken captive. And our unforgettable verse today is a part of a letter that Jeremiah sent to those captives in Babylon. It's important for us to recognize the significance of that context, because when we read 
Jeremiah 29.11, and we read it as if it were standing alone and we try to apply it to our lives, it leads us to draw the conclusion that God is planning something for me personally. God, we read those words. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we think in terms of, of wealth and, and growing the possessions that we have, plans to give you hope in a future. And we think about what, what future could he be talking about? Is he talking about retirement? Is he talking about the end of a career with enough, enough money that we don't have to worry about what's going to happen, about providing an inheritance for our kids, that God is going to take care of those details and provide us with a, a happy and easy life? And yet there's so much more to these words when we understand not only the background, the situation of this message, but also the, the context. I want to read to you a portion of this letter from Jeremiah Chapter 29, beginning of verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I haven't sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And we draw strength and hope from these words. But we have to do it carefully. God spoke these words to a group of people, not to an individual. He was working for their good, talking in terms of what he was going to do through their lives according to his overarching plan, not only for them, but for all people. Reminding them of hope. Reminding them of a future that he had in mind. And when we take these words and apply them to our own lives, we must do so with the understanding that we are we're in a different time. We're living under different circumstances than the captive Israelites. And we can't assume that these words from God mean that he will make us wealthy and happy. But we can allow these words to provide us hope in the darkest places of our lives. We can allow these words to remind us of God's overarching plan, his unchanging plan. That brings us a different kind of hope. And these words remind us not specifically of how God is directing the small details of our lives, but they remind us of the need that we have to be faithful to God's overarching plan. And we are called to be faithful in every circumstances. Every circumstance. In every situation. In the good and in the bad. To live faithfully devoted to God's will and to his way. And the instructions that God provided to the Israelites are a reminder of how we can be faithful in each and every moment. This is what he said to them. One, establish yourselves where you are. Grow where you're planted. Build homes. Settle in. 
plant a garden and eat what grows from that garden. Get married and have kids. Find spouses for those kids. Trust that the place where you are is the place you need to be. And be faithful while you're living there. They were instructed to wait for God's timing in the situation they found themselves in. Two, God said, I want you to find peace and prosperity in the city where you live. And pray to God that that city prospers. Pray to God that there's peace in that city. Do you know why? Because your peace and prosperity depends on the peace and prosperity of that city. Even though you're living among people that you hate. Even though you know that the people who live around you might very well have been a part of that army that took you captive and deported you to Babylon. Even though you know the people around you aren't of your people. They're foreigners and they despise you. Pray for their peace and prosperity because your well-being depends on them. Third, he said, guard the information that you're taking in. There are false prophets around you. There are people who you are saying, I need, I need to know what God is thinking. Tell me about the dreams you're having. Tell me about the visions that God is providing for you. And they say, okay. And they're creating these, these messages from God for the people of Israel. He said, don't listen to them. You know that what they're saying is false. Trust God's word through his prophets. Weigh what you're taking in. Even when it sounds true, consider the source. Even when it sounds true, measure it against the word of God, the scripture that you have. Make sure that it rings true with what God has already given you. Trust in his word and his word alone. Fourth, he said, wait. Wait. And they needed to wait for God's timing. Even though they had received God's promise, even though they were being faithfully obedient to what God was calling them to do, he said, when 70 years have passed, then I will come and deliver. Now, they may have been expecting God to come and deliver them as they had heard about his action on the behalf of the people of Israel in the past. But God said to them, 70 years, decades will pass before I come for you. Generations will grow up. You will still be captives. But if you live faithfully where you are, I will come and deliver you. You know, it's difficult for us to wait on God's timing. Especially when we have a big decision to make. In our lives, we think about how we depend on God, how we, how we trust in his direction, how, how we gain discernment from him to make decisions. We're, we're faced with, with big, urgent, pressing decisions, and we want to hear from God and know that we're making the right choice. And we think about God's will very specifically sometimes the way I did in terms of aligning with God's will and deviating from God's will. And we have these decisions to make. We say, God, I need, I need a sign. I need to know what the right answer is. I need to know what, what, my, what I can do according to your will, and I need an answer right now. And we live our lives according to this urgent timing that God doesn't follow because God's timing is perfect. And even though we feel urgency, even though we feel a need to have an answer now, even though we're, we're demanding of God that he intervene in our lives here and now, sometimes God is calling us to wait, to be faithful, even when we don't understand what's happening, to be faithful even when 
we feel like we need to make a decision right now to just trust his provision, to trust his timing. Can you imagine waiting 70 years in a difficult situation for God to finally bring about a resolution in your life? Most of us have trouble waiting for the end of the week for that to happen. But God called his people to wait for 70 years. And here's what he said at the end of that time. You'll call on me, pray to me, and I'll listen to you. Seek me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. But only when you're willing to invest all of yourself into that search. Only when you're willing to invest all of yourself in that relationship with me. When you search for me, when you pray to me, when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. This the same message Jesus provided in the New Testament when he summed up. He said all the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we consider what it is that God is calling us to do, he's calling us to invest all of who we are in our relationship with him. To seek after him with all of our hearts, not just the little bit of energy we have at the end of the day, not just with the little bit of spare time we have in between our appointments and our schedule, but God is calling us to surrender ourselves and to seek after him and to discover when we do that he is there for us. And he will be found when we seek after him wholeheartedly. I used to play hide and seek with my kids when they were toddlers. They're both teenagers now. I have a feeling if I said, hey guys, let's play hide and seek, I wouldn't get the same reaction I did when they were this big. But we had so much fun playing hide and seek. I would count, tell you, ready or not, here I come. And I walk into a room and, you know, with, with toddlers, they, just, they laugh while they're hiding. There's no, there's no doubt where they are. Sometimes they're not even like hidden. They're just standing. So sometimes our game becomes hide and I'm going to scare you. <laughs> Especially when they would count and I would hide. I'd hide in real, uh, in a place they wouldn't expect me, wait for them to walk by and just kind of reach out, and grab them, scream and laugh. It's a lot of fun. And there were a lot of times when they were little that I didn't have to hide very well at all. I could stand in a place where you know, the lower half of me was covered because that's all they could see. And I could watch them walk by. And I was there the whole time. But they didn't always recognize that I was there. Now think about what God says to his people here. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. When his people chose, instead of whatever nominal kind of faith they chose to have, when they chose instead to, to give all of themselves to their relationship with God, when they chose to, to, to really lean into him and depend on him, when they were willing to sacrifice all, they would realize that God was never far from them, even though they felt really far away. God had always been there. God had always been present. God had always been waiting for them to turn and realize that he was waiting for them to open themselves up. God said, when you seek me with all of your heart, I'll be found by you. We consider verse 11 within the context of these instructions from God. 
and we discover that there's so much more about our own personal prosperity, our own, our own plans for the future than what we were thinking about before. We see how God is working through his people, working through their faithfulness, even in captivity, to, to grow them as a people, to set them up for his overarching plan, to bring about the Messiah through them. And that's ultimately what God is, is telling them. There is more at stake here than your captivity. Be faithful where you are and you'll discover the plan I have, not only for you, but for all people. To bring about hope and a future through Jesus Christ. The promise of God in our lives is not so limited and temporary as we might have been thinking. It's an eternal promise, an eternal blessing, bringing hope and joy to the world. And we think about what it means for us to be faithful in every circumstance. It's important for us to remember that we need to be faithful to God. We're called to be faithful to God in the, in the good times. When, when life is great, when we've received a promotion and, and suddenly we have more money than we did before and we're trying to decide what to do with it, it's an incredible feeling. But in that excess, there's also temptation to reward ourselves, to indulge, to to do things we wouldn't normally do just be, because we can now. When, when our relationships are going really well and we're enjoying peace, when we get together with family and friends, there's no arguments, there's no bitterness. We need to be faithful in those times and not get overconfident or proud about who we are and the way we interact with others, but to, to, to remain faithful to God through all of those moments and Trust that he has a plan for how that's working, that God is going to use those opportunities that present themselves if we will remain faithful to him. And we need to remember even more so that when life gets hard, when difficult times come, we're called to be faithful in those moments as well. When we, instead of receiving promotion, find that we no longer have a job because of a mistake we've made, backed ourselves into a corner because the downsizing and our jobs no longer available we were suddenly faced with this horrible situation where we don't know where money's coming from we don't know how we're going to make ends meet we have to make decisions about what we're going to do and god is calling us to be faithful in those difficult moments and i get so distraught and frustrated that we do something dangerous or stupid but that we would continue to honor him with our lives and wait to see what he's going to do with those moments, how he's going to direct our paths, what new opportunities are going to come because of the difficulty that we face. When a relationship is broken, when there's strain between friends and family, when, when we're suddenly realizing the loss, the pain of not having that person next to us we once did, we need to be faithful in those difficult moments and those darkest times and not turn to things that would numb the pain and distract us from the reality that we're facing. But instead, that we would seek God with all of our hearts and try and discover what circumstances, what people we might be bringing into our lives through that difficulty. How he can use those moments, even though we don't understand, even though we can't comprehend why things are so bad that God can still use those moments for his glory. When we hit rock bottom, when we no longer have hope, when we look around and think there's nowhere else for us to go, in those moments we need to be careful and continue to be faithful to God. And as we turn to him and as we trust him, what we find is that God is consistent and faithful. 
God is continually there for us, leading us and guiding us and directing us to be a part of his overarching plan. He's inviting us to recognize the purpose that he has for us in every situation, in every detail, no matter whether it's good or bad, that he is using our example of faithfulness where we are to draw people closer to him. He's using those moments with people that never would have crossed our paths before to help them understand their need for the love and grace of Jesus Christ through our lives. God is calling us to be a part of this incredible journey. If we could just change our focus and change our perspective instead of being so concerned about the details of our lives that we would look at what he's doing in the world around us and choose to be faithful as we recognize the hope and future that he is working out through his consistent plan. That God will never change. Even though we change our minds regularly, God is faithful and consistent, and his overarching plan will remain. And he will steadfastly invite us to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to his will and to his way. And we recognize that when we see the fruition of these words, our hope and future that God has planned for us is not about wealth. It's not about happiness. Our hope and future is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior. As Jeremiah continued to deliver the message of God to the people of Israel and Judah, uh, we, we read through all of their difficulty. We read through the, the way that God was working through him, about their hope that he would deliver them back to the promised lands. We work through the end of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33. We read about how God explained to his people how he would bring about the fulfillment of his plan. Beginning in verse 14, here's what he said. The days are coming, declared the Lord. When I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it, the righteous branch, will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Even in the pages of the Old Testament, God is pointing his people to understand the Messiah who is coming. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God is working through the circumstances of our lives. He's working through the captivity of the people of Israel and Babylon to set them up to be a part of the deliverance of the Messiah coming. This is the overarching purpose. This was why God was calling them to faithfulness so that they could participate in his plan, so they could discover their purpose in him, that they would play a role in establishing the way for Jesus Christ to come into the world through them. He will be born of their people. It is a hope and a future that their descendants would see come to pass. It is a hope and a future that would benefit and bless the world around them for generations to come. A hope and a future that we still today are blessed by. And as we conclude our sermon today, I want to challenge you to think about plans God has for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future and to recognize the need to, to expand your perspective instead of worrying about the, the small decisions of life, about career and 
place to live and relationships. They seem really big, but they're small decisions compared to the faithfulness that God is calling us to. That when you think about God's hope and future for you, that you would commit yourself wholeheartedly to faithfulness. That you would discover in the world around you the opportunities that God is placing in your life to live according to his love and grace every day. To let your life be an example in the world around you. To help others understand their need for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That you would use every relationship, every circumstance as an opportunity like Jeremiah to proclaim a message of Jesus Christ. Even though you may find ridicule there. Even though you may find difficulty there. Even though you may be confronted by other people because they don't believe what you're saying, that you would continue to be faithful to what God is calling you to do and the life that God is calling you to live and choose to surrender yourself to him. This morning, if you have a decision to make about your relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your life that you would like to have prayer for, I want to encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.